You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Wednesday, October the 25th, brightening up here in TW11 as I welcome Jane Mangan to the show today with the news that was anticipated by David Yates both on Saturday evening and on this podcast yesterday that Frankie Dottori did indeed have a sting in the tail to his glorious successes on Kipco British Champions Day. 16 days, his total whip suspension for going one over on both Trawlerman and on Kin Ross. Plans for whom are revealed by trainer Rafe Beckett in a few moments' time. Incidentally, where will he go? Will he go Breeders' Cup Hong Kong? You'll be finding out very shortly but frankie won't be going to melbourne he'll ride in the breeders cup and then he'll be banned for 16 days he won't be going to melbourne to ride he'll be going there as a spectator only all right then jane what do we make of that little lot well i didn't notice it on the day because you know both races were so enthralling and exciting um and it wasn't until dave explained it yesterday that it really made sense if he went over on each he was going to get eight for each so he's going to melbourne as a spectator and i suppose nick that's something he's going to have to get used to anyway. Well, he didn't have a ride in the Melbourne Cup anyway, so you could argue perhaps it would have been academic, but I'm sure he'd have picked up rides across the carnival and it'll be a big blow to Racing Victoria and the Victoria Racing Club for sure. When you look at those rides and when you look at the ban, is this a subject you you feel like revisiting again? Um, not particularly. Look, I felt uh, Jim Crowley didn't deserve what he got for Hookham in the King George, but it is what it is. Everybody's getting treated the same way. And um, Frankie Dettori will have ridden all over the world and knows the different rules and jurisdictions. And he knows that if he goes one over and breaks the rule that he's going to get, he's going to get a hit for it. But I'd imagine the most disappointed, aside from Frankie himself, is, is as you say, Victoria Racing Club and all those fans in Melbourne, because Chris Waller had said on your podcast that he had planned on supporting him even outside of the main race. Um, and that's disappointing that they won't get to see him in the flesh. But I'm sure um, he'll be there and he'll make his presence felt either way. And he wasn't the only one, Frankie Dottori, because Sam James and David Allen, both winning riders, they picked up eight days apiece for the, exactly the same offence, going one over on Poptronic and Art Power, their first group one winners, respectively. And it did strike me, Jane, that would this have happened had this been earlier in the season? Obviously, the whole point of this is that you don't win at all costs in a group one race, hence the coefficient that doubles the penalty. But if you're riding on Champions Day and there's not much round the corner, is the incentive to break the rules uh, significantly greater? I can't I can't say whether that's true or not, because does it does a jockey go into a race thinking, nah, sure, I could do it a holiday anyway? I'd say you have your brain mentally channeled to six. You have to do that. Like if if, if you're thinking of I can go over here and there. You're going to end up. Was it Sam James has broken the rules a number of times in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, he's got a referral because he's he's, he's on going his... to get a real he's going to get a real hard yeah. hit. So no, I I I would be disappointed if jockeys went into uh, any race thinking, sure, look, I'm not going to be riding for the next three months anyway. That that's how I'm going to treat it. But that's complete disregard for the rules. All right. Well, what of the horse aboard whom Frankie got one of his bands, Kin Ross? He was second. It was a race he was widely expected to win. And he was also going to be having this busy autumn 
of uh, Breeders' Cup and, and Hong Kong, potentially. Has this made Rafe Beckett revisit that? Uh, you'll find out in a moment. But first of all, I asked him for his, his reaction to the, to the race itself. Uh, I thought the winner got, uh, got the perfect ride, really. If you look at the sectional, somebody sent me through, the, through, through Nick. Uh, he ran nearly a, the first follow on nearly a second. Ken Ross he ran in a second slower than the winner. And then every other furlong, including the final furlong, he was quicker than the winner. So, uh, you know, David Allen gave the winner a fine ride. And mm. obviously, Ken Ross needs a bit of cover early on. And... Frankie had to go looking for that, and that's probably what's cost us. But if he didn't get cover, he wouldn't have got nearly as close. So it's uh, six of one and a half a dozen of the other. That's uh, that's that's why uh, the sport uh, is what it is. You know, it, that's why you know good horses can come out of anywhere. Good res- re- good results can come out of anywhere. You know, so he ran his race. So I was delighted with him. It just wasn't our day. We know Kinross has, has thrived the last couple of seasons on the on these busy autumns. What are you thinking now? Because so talking to talking to you and Jamie McCalmont and various others before Saturday, it was this Breeders' Cup Hong Kong. Will something have to give? Yeah, I don't think we'll. Go, you know, we're not going to go to the Breeders' Cup within. Uh, obviously, it's a week less than last year, and um, you know, there's part of us all that thinks you know going to look after this horse as well you know he's uh, he's looked after us over the last couple of years and it's our it's our turn now to look after him so it's possible he'll go to hong kong but only a possibility and is he okay yeah he's fine yeah absolutely fine i came out of the race well i'm very happy with him but you know he's six rising seven now um, what did you make of Blue Stocking's performance? <laughs> uh, I can't remember whether it was you or Lydia who said that perhaps it was the one race on the round track that um, <laughs> that was affected by moving it from the main track to the to the hurdles track. You know, I thought you know, you know she did well to get to where she did. You know, she's the one thing we've learned about Blue Stocking is you can't hit the front too soon. And uh, as we saw at Chester and and and, and the Curra, um, uh, the winner got a fine ride again, didn't didn't she? And you know, she's a, we know she's a good fairly Lancashire Oaks winner, etc. Um, conditions suited her very well. We were partly because of our draw and partly because of the way Blue Stocking has to be ridden. We were quite a long way back and. But we, you know, we had time to get there. It's just uh, she wasn't she wasn't quite good enough. Um, I th- one one thing I was sure about Saturday was that she left it all there. Blue stocking, you know, she she definitely put it all in on Saturday, and uh, she'll uh, she'll have the winter off and is going to come back as a four year old, which is great for us. Um, a horse who won't be coming back is Balance Play, sold yesterday for 575000 as part of Alex Elliott's consignment that we were talking about earlier in the week. That's a that's a fine bit of business all round, isn't it? I mean, I know there'll be a lot of people saying, oh, it's the talent drain and so forth, but is there anything British Racing could ever do to stop a horse like that going abroad re- re- realistically at that money? No, I mean, the, the point that I would, 
obviously not. You know, it was, it was, it was a lot of money for the horse. He's a gelding, uh, rising four. Uh, you know, this is his. This is the time to sell a horse like him. He's not going to be worth. He's going to be worth a third less in a year's time, whatever he does, at least. And uh, to run this autumn, he had the St. Simon Stakes on Saturday at Newbury, which is in doubt. And in two weeks' time, the November Handicap, which is worth five grand more than it was 20 years ago. Oh. <laughs> you know, so uh, he had to go. That's the way. That's the way um, Farmont is set up. They are set up to trade horses. They traded out of various horses already this year. Mr. Buster, Davideo, um, to name two. So um, that's the way. That's the way it goes. And that's the way uh, we've got to play it. All right, that was Rafe Beckett talking about balance play sale yesterday, also the run of blue stocking, and first of all, Kin Ross, who won't go to the Breeders' Cup. That's the headline news there, uh, Jane. I think they they feel that they can only squeeze the lemon so many times. What do you make of that decision? Uh, that's fair enough. He had, a, he had a hard race at Ascot. He's had a hard year. Um, he's had six tough races. He's been so ultra consistent. Um, I think he's he he's just been one of those marvelous horses. And the fact that he's a gelding mix, you know, we know he's going to be coming back around next year. So hopefully we'll see him in Hong Kong. And uh, if not, I think Mark Chan can count himself very lucky to have a horse like him because every day you go racing, you know you're going to get a thrill. We're going to hear more about Hong Kong a little bit later in the programme from J.A. McGrath, but it might just be worth touching upon uh, the entries for the Hong Kong International Race Day, which has come out today. Hayden O'Brien really is the key to this. And Paddington is in there, which surprised me somewhat. Kiprios is in there, which surprised me somewhat. Um, we heard the Highfield Princess, John Quinn, sprinter. She's headed to Hong Kong. Kinross might be. But what do you make of uh, of Aiden's entries here? Uh, I'm 100% surprised Kiprios is there. Um, like, magic to get him back. Um, I'm looking forward to next season with him. I don't know if... if yeah, I, I suppose they'll explore the opportunity that might be there for him. But I was... After getting such a hard race at the weekend, I was surprised to see that entry. Paddington, I'm not so surprised. I... I think they they might have a little bit of unfinished business with him. He had such a good middle of the summer to York. He's so much better than we saw on Saturday. And why not? It, they basically said, Aidan O'Brien is almost certainly uh, confirmed that he's going to retire to stud. So why not have one last roll of the dice? It's a huge purse. He's a horse well capable of making his presence felt there. And if he were to win that, it'd be a lot better way to finish his career than what he did on Saturday. This Saturday, there's the small matter of the Group 1 uh, Cameco Futurity, as it is uh, now known. It's sponsored by Qatar Racing and is named for their winner of the race in 2019, who subsequently won the Guineas, and who is standing at Tween Hill Stud. Weather could pose a bit of a problem this weekend. We're still in the, the grip of a bit of a wet spell. I've been on the phone to the Group Operations Director for ARC, the parent company of Doncaster Racecourse, Mark Spincer, uh, and this is what he told me about the state of conditions and contingency plans. According to the clerk, Paul, this morning, who's looked at the latest weather maps, he's as confident as he's been all week that um, we will everything will take place on Saturday as programmed. We've just moved two of the round mile races back onto the mile straight, and we're going to move the futurity from the 
second ITV slot, I think, to the first ITV slot. So no more races will have taken place on the straight than would have done if the mile races had taken place on the round rather than on the straight. We've just got some standing water at the start of the miles shoot. So we've abandoned that and moved them onto the straight course. And BHA is just dealing with that as we speak. Um, so I hope I haven't told you anything that's not actually been published yet, but um, it should be out shortly. Okay. Um, and that will give us the best opportunity to um, get both cards on Friday and Saturday. If you get a, a, a ridiculous deluge again, um, have you got a contingency in play? I think it's fair to say we'd do the same as we did in 2019. We, we will save the race uh, and we'll, we'll apply to move it to Newcastle and run it over the Tapita straight mile at Newcastle. Um, we've had conversations with BHA, so it's not a surprise. Um, hopefully we don't need to do that, but we wouldn't want to lose the race. I can't remember... Uh, in 2019 did you run it on the same day at the same time or did you have to run it a few days later i don't remember we moved it to about seven days i think i was actually on holiday i was on my hip um a week i think it ran the following week either on the friday might have run on the friday night nick i think it might have run on the friday night the week after it rings a bell it rings a bell but you'd you'd play if you got advance notice soon enough could you could you actually get it to newcastle on saturday no 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 you'd but you, you'd, yeah, you'd run it a few days later. We'd, we'd look to run it in the next you know, few days. All right, that was Mark Spencer. So if they do get the worst, they're off to Newcastle again. Uh, but it sounds like they feel they'll be okay for, for Saturday. It's going to be blue on blue Saturday. We, Dave and I spoke about it a little bit yesterday, Jane, with Diego Velasquez for Bally Doyle and Godolphin second rider James Doyle, Bally Doyle and James Doyle, taking on Godolphin, potentially Ancient Wisdom and, and William Buick. Some nice little storylines. Which is the better horse? Ancient Wisdom is the better rating. Uh, Ancient Wisdom has done more. We've seen more of him. Diego Velasquez, I think, is a, a horse that's just going to be improving right through to next year. He's a big horse. He's not like Broom. He's not like Point Lansdale. He's a much bigger physical than his siblings. Um, he was somewhat laborsome at Leopardstown. Um, Capulet ran him all the way to the line. Capulet subsequently well beaten in the Royal Lodge. So there is, there is holes to be picked on that front. But then if you take the third and the fourth from Leopardstown, Atlantic Coast has won a group three since. And Deep One has won the Beresford. So the form, you can interpret it as you wish. Of course, that's the race that August Rodan won last year en route to winning at Doncaster. It's also the race that Mogul won in 2019 before he went to Newcastle and was no match for Cameco. So um, I think Ancient Wisdom makes it a real spicy affair. You spoke yesterday with Roger Teal about Dancing Gemini and uh, it looks like it could be between the top three, but I don't think the favourite's going to have it all his own way, you know. For those of you who are still warming up to the jump season and even even the most ardent and passionate jumps fan, Lee Mottishead, was saying to me it was taking him a while to, to switch his brain couple of days ago just cast your eyes over the entry for the coral gold cup um formerly known as the ladbrooks and before before that the hennessy at uh at newbury uh, which is run the first weekend of december this year it, it it has got a ridiculous entry for those who thought that the days of good horses in this were over just look at the ones that have been entered ahoy senor and i believe it is the intention for them to run ahoy senor as well um, he might top the weights. So I'll come to that in a minute. The real whacker is in there. I believe it's the intention for, for him to run there. Paul Nichols has given Brave Man's Game the entry, even though 
Charlie Halls and Betfair Chases are, are are more atop the agenda. And the one that really intrigued me was Lom Presse, who is officially rated 170. So he might have to give a pound to Hoy Senor. He's been on the sidelines for quite some time since he unseated his rider in the King George last year when, when in contention. His owner, Andy Edwards, has been giving me a, a bulletin on on exactly what the thinking is behind the entry and whether it's a realistic one. The entry is an early closer. Um, obviously, he's one of the top-rated horses in the country, and he should be entered in, in the best races um, that are going on. Um, but it's just entry that's come up. He, he, he's, he's, he's going well, he's happy and well, and he's, he's in work, um, he's in full training. Um, he's not at the point where we would know whether he's going to be ready for that race or any of the other races that we enter in. But um, if we're not in it, we can't win it. So we're very happy to make those entries um, and see nearer the time if he's come to himself. You know, we, we weren't scared of going the handicapping route towards the Gold Cup last year, and we're not sort of scared of doing that this year. Very happy to. You know, he's going to carry 12 stone in whatever race he runs in, whether it's a, a grade one or a handicap. Obviously, the others get the allowances off us. But, um, yeah, well, no, we're not frightened of going that route. Um, it, it's it's where the races are at the best moment in time for him. Those are the races that we go to. All right, that was Andy Edwards, the owner of Lompresse. So the good news is, Jane, the horse is back in training. They're pointing towards a start around about the beginning of December if all goes well obviously a lot of water to flow under the bridge and without committing to that race specifically they certainly didn't seem averse to the idea of running him in a handicap as they did first up last year this could be an absolute crackerjack it really could there's already betting up for it and brave man's game is in around 20 to 1 like crazy quality in here if half of these turn up we're going to have a serious race kitty's light um Royal Pagai of Venetia has two major highly rated horses in this. You mentioned a hoy senor. Willie Mullins throwing over Braun. Willie Mullins obviously with such depth of quality, he's going to have to send some good ones across the water to split them. Um, Roy, right, Jane, Jane have, you got, have you got the betting in front of you there? Yes. What Six price? favourite, Mon Big Genius at the moment. Right. What price is John Joe Neal? A very progressive horse last year. Perfect profile for the race. But what price is a hoy senor? He'll be humping a huge weight. What price is he? 14 to 1. That'll do for me. There we are. We're, we're, remember this conversation now, because the intention is for him to run there, I think. And I know he took a few runs to get going last year, but he's been so good at Newbury before. Loves that sort of track. I don't care what turns up. If he's on a going day and he rolls from the front in a race like that, and I could, couldn't, don't care what he's giving loads of weight to. 14 to 1. He should never be 14 to 1. For well, any there race. You go. It's it's what the race should be, though. You know, we're talking about handicaps and giving weight away. Horses like him can do that because he's a genuine grade one performer, heavyweight horse. So um he won't mind whatever the ground will be, and he'll be he'll be able to cruise at a high pace that'll put other horses who are actually handicappers out of their comfort zones. All right, Jane, let's talk about the return of mares, the Weatherby's return of mares. For those who aren't familiar, what is the return of mares? Well, it tells us where what the stallions have been doing for the past season and where each mare is being bred to in, in Britain and Ireland. It tells us numbers, it tells us names, it tells us what breeders were 
you know, which direction they were going, popularity of stallions and indeed lack of popularity of stallions. And perhaps the most important figure I look at every year is the population of foals bred, because that tells us in terms of production, whether we're going back to the time of overproduction or whether we're on the sweet spot. And here in Ireland, I have a funny feeling considering we're up 2,000 in population from 2013. So 10 years ago, there was 7,051 foals produced. We're now at 9,000, sorry, 9,082. I think we're at the peak of overproduction here in Ireland, whereas in the UK, you guys haven't really moved from 10 years ago. You're still on 4,300 and that's probably your sweet spot. What were your key observations as regards uh, stallions doing well, poorly, mares, etc. What were you? What were the, What were your biggest takeaways? Well, I always look at the the first season horses to see how they perform. So the listeners will will be glad to know that Stradivarius covered one hundred and twenty mares. State of Rest in Rathbury covered one hundred and fifteen. Space Blues in Kildangan, one hundred ninety eight. Space Traveller down in um, Joe Foley's one hundred eighty six. Bayside Boy in in Bally Lynch one hundred thirty four. But perhaps the one that they really want to know is how did Baye perform? The horse that was so good on the track. Well, he covered one hundred sixty two mares, including strong support from Shadwell, including Anine. He also covered the Group One winner Deirdre, Ishada, The Fugue, Jay Wonder, Needle Leaf, uh, Lady Ederell, Persuasive, Nemoralia, Rudel, Seal of Approval, Search for a Song, and the Dam of Ten Sovereigns, Seeking Solace. Uh, uh, yeah, Seeking Solace. So Baid has got a quality book. Dubawi is 22 next year. How many mares did he cover as a 21-year-old? He covered 137 of uh, the highest class mares. Um, Frankel, of course, you'd as expect 196 mares, including some of the best names, Halfway to Heaven, Daremi, Lily Langtree, Alpine Star, Coronet, Pearls Galore, Emulus, Newspaper of Record, Rushing Fall, Trev, Mongoustine, Wonderful Tonight and Mecca's Angel. In the National Hunt sphere, you could equate Frankel to Walk into Park. Walk into Park covered 191, including the two brilliant champion hurdle winners, Honeysuckle and Epitaunt, and also Benny Dejo, Key Vega, a Shattered Love and Vroom Vroom Mag. And uh, other ones of, of of interest, I thought, were Golden Horn. He's first year at Dash Grange. Under that banner, he's... Um, Covered 173 mares. See the Stars, one of the very best stallions in Ireland. 180 mares in Saxon Warrior off the back, I'd imagine, of Victoria Road. Covered 264 mares last year. He's one of the busiest stallions in Britain and Ireland. But the, the busiest stallion in, in both countries was the Beaches Stud resident, Crystal Ocean. That brilliant son of See the Stars covered 335 mares. And it was another son of See the Stars who sired the next most horses, this was Affinacy, who has been a bit of a star for Ronnie O'Neill and family's White Mount Stud in Ireland. Ronnie was the man who discovered Stowaway and turned him into a champion. Affinacy has been a, a great success story so far, so much so that he's gone out and bought yet another son of See the Stars in Mojo Star, the Derby runner-up of a couple of years back, uh, who has been uh, sold to White Mount by Ammo Racing. Uh, Keir Drabshin saying he was going to support him with some mares. More of that in a moment. This is what Ronnie O'Neill had to say to me about the acquisition of Mojo Star, first of all. Yeah, it's a beautiful big horse. Like, it's a big, very big horse. And a uh, great presence to him. I was the first to see with a stand I was off several standards this year. So he thought he was very interesting. So I was delighted to get him anyway. His form was very good. 
like second in the derby and you only made it at the time. And it's, it's three great seconds in group one races. Like, you did hot for National Hunt's job and then the fact he got size and see the stars he's been looking for me with his innocent. So, I think he would blend in very well with his uh, and Affinity's covered a huge amount of mares uh, in, in the last couple of seasons and only Crystal Ocean has covered more mares than him in the last return of mares. Why do you think a horse that, let's face it, nobody ever knew as a as a racehorse um, has made such a success at stud? What have you done that has made uh, has made him the, the this extraordinary phenomenon that he is? Amazing, wasn't it? I think we used to force him well the first year. Story was after dying and we had lost lines and uh, he got fantastic looking folds the first crop of folds were outstanding and people saw his folds just locked into him like it was amazing because he was a visit sire in Ireland Britain and Europe and he was 10 years of age and he never had a runner and he's still a visit sire in Europe so that was amazing but his stock outstanding looking stock they stamps every one of them. They're all lovely, dark colours horses, and they all look alike. You've never get a chester. They're all bays, browns. So he stuck, sold them from day one, and then the lovely temperament, and hopefully he'll have a good winter this year. So the point, the point, like really love them and the stock stay a lot for next year. I got some nice horses to come out now shortly. Just give me an indication, Ronnie, as to, to how this this commercial success of of Affinity, how has it changed the stud? How has it changed your your day to day lives? Well made an awful difference. Made a huge difference. Like we're only a small family operation. Just myself, my son and daughter here with me. So and we've got about turkey broodmares of our own. Well, fingers crossed. Stowaway Affinity Mojo Star, the latest in the line. Um, congratulations on on getting hold of him, Ronnie. And I, I, I must just before you go, I was intrigued to see that Kia Jurabchin said Ama Racing said that they would support Affinity. Is he in the market for a few National Hunt brood mares? Do we think? I think he plans to buy some National Hunt to send to Mojo. He loves the horse. Well, that would be. I think he was called after his father, Mojo. So he really loves the horse and he's going to plant his support of anyway. Well, that, that'll be a, a very interesting dimension. Look forward to that. Ronnie, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Nick. Thank you very much. That was Ronnie O'Neill from White Mount Stud. Amazing what he's done with Stowaway, then Affinity, and now hopes to with Mojo Star and confirming there that he thought that Keir Drabshin was going to buy some jump mares to send to, to Mojo. Confirmed that you heard it here first. Well... I wouldn't bet against it. He has conquered the flat. Maybe he's going to try and take us all on National Hunt. Mm. Now, before we spoke to Ronnie, you mentioned that Saxon Warrior had covered a lot of mares, perhaps off the back of Victoria Road's success last year in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Been a quietly, quietly campaign for him this time, but he lines up as one of two internationals in the Cox Plate on uh, Saturday uh, and others in the Cox Plate include Romantic Warrior for, for Hong Kong and Alligator Blood, who seeks amazingly to give Gay Waterhouse her first ever success in the race. Now, 
Um, Matt Chapman's been winding up the locals again by saying that Victoria Road uh, is a, a worthy horse, but it would be, a, frankly, an embarrassment to them. I'm paraphrasing. If a horse of his caliber were to go down there and win the Cox Plate, he contextualized it by saying how inferior Victoria Road was at this stage to a horse like Ben Battle, who was the only horse who, who sort of half pushed winks. Um, and so that always is set to light the blue touch paper. It, it's it's um, it's age old stuff, but it's uh, it's a point to note nonetheless. How embarrassed should Australian racing be if Victoria Road goes down there and thumps them in the Cox Plate? Not embarrassed at all. Uh, Matt is doing uh, wonders for promoting the race because he's going to get everybody to watch it. Um, so, you know, in, in his stirring of the pot, there is a positive. But if it's embarrassing for um, Australia, if this horse wins the Cox Plate, which obviously it wouldn't be, uh, would it have been embarrassing that he won the Breeders' Cup turf last year at Keeneland? I, I don't think that was one bit embarrassing. And I actually thought the horse was unlucky in a group two at Leopardstown last time, the Dullian Park. On Champions Weekend, he came from a long way back on a day where he had to be on the pace. So uh, he's only ran twice. He had an injury, I think, after his Breeders' Cup run. So we haven't seen a lot of him not by because they had their their hand was forced by another by another force. So he's got a good draw. He's in he's in six beside Romantic Warrior and Alligator Blood. I don't know an awful lot about the other runners in the field. I know Zaki has been around a long time. I know Meyer Oberon wasn't top class up here, but if Victoria managed, Victoria Road managed to win the Cox Plate, I wouldn't be one bit surprised. Didn't Aidan O'Brien do it with a certain Adelaide around 10 years ago? All right, from Adelaide to Hong Kong once again, and J.A. McGrath. Nick, it's a very different week in Hong Kong racing. This Wednesday, there's an eight-race card on the dirt at Sha Tin. And then on Sunday, they're on the turf at Happy Valley. Not only that, local champion Romantic Warrior is in Melbourne for Saturday's Group 1 Cox Plate. And it's excusable if trainer Danny Shum seems a little preoccupied. Danny was at Geelong today, uh, 45 miles outside Melbourne, to watch Romantic Warrior's lead horse, Romantic Charm, finish fourth in a handicap. Romantic Warrior, meanwhile, gallops at Werribee tomorrow morning, as too does the Aidan O'Brien-trained Victoria Road, another Cox Plate runner. Meanwhile, at Chartin today, you've got to look for the dirt lovers. And uh, the top of the pile in that regard is in race seven, number nine, Handsome 12, whose four wins have all come on the dirt. He's now in a class two over a mile. He'll easily measure up to that class. And with Zach Purton in the saddle, he can win for trainer Benno Jung. Number 11, Rise Brethren, is the danger. So take nine and 11 in a tote swinger. That's a race seven at Sha Tin. In race eight, I also go for another Zach Purton mount in number four, Self-Improvement, a horse who's very much uh, living up to his name. He's definitely on the upward climb through the ranks and can win this Class 3 six furlong sprint. Number nine, everyone's victory. Harry Bentley's mount is the big danger. So that's Sha Tin today. Eight races there for you. And that's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Well, as we await the Gambling Commission's uh, verdict on affordability checks, the consultation period having ended last Wednesday, and that might be a, that might be a lengthy wait, uh, the horse racing industry ramps up the pressure on government, and the latest manifestation of that has come from the Jockey Club's Chief Executive, Nevin Truesdale, joins me now. Nevin, what's the latest? 
Good morning, Nick. Yes, um, thank you for that. The latest is that we're, today we're launching um, a live petition um, on behalf of this is the entire horse racing industry. So this is not me personally. This is not the Jockey Club. This is a an initiative that's come from um, the entire horse racing industry um, to, to launch a petition on um, the government's website to oppose the introduction of blanket affordability checks. I mean, I think your listeners will be very well versed um, with the the, the the issues behind those, the impact they're having, they're already having, having already been introduced um, without having been through the legislative process um, the, and the results of the right to bet survey that we that we also completed a couple of weeks back, um, which had over nearly 14,500 responses and which showed that 26% of people who responded to that um, have already had some form of affordability intervention, be that a request for a bank statement or a P60. Um, so this is really the next step on the road to that opposition um, and to launching a petition which people can go in and sign on um, on petition.parliament.uk um, to show the industry's opposition um, to blanket affordability checks. No one is against um, the issue of addressing problem gambling. No one is against the need to do something um, tangible with the gambling laws in this country, given they've not been updated since 2005. But we, we strongly believe that um, any attempt to introduce blanket um, affordability interventions, which could result in people losing as little as one pound thirty-seven a day on average, um, having some sort of intervention around a request for a bank slip, um, is um, not the right way to go about it, and actually doesn't solve the problem. Uh, how is this going to differ from all the other measures you've taken to try and convince government of your case? How is this going to be more effective? Well, I think what this will do, Nick, this will show, um, if we get the signatories we're hoping for, this will show the strength of feeling. But I think I think the, the, the right to bet survey was certainly very strong, tangible data that we can back up our arguments with. But this is a, you know, this is a well-known way of, of showing government on specific issues how people feel. And I think this is also an opportunity, once again, for people beyond racing to respond to this as well. We know the impact that you know the lost income to racing that these affordability checks are already resulting in can have. We know the impact it can have on the size of the industry. But this is actually a chance for people who actually, to, without getting too philosophical about it, Nick, who believe in the freedom of the individual to choose how to spend their money um, and what leisure activity to spend their money on to also get involved um, and to show that this form of sort of state intervention in, in leisure activity, which doesn't happen in any other form of leisure activity, it's just not something people are prepared to accept. So it's a very significant platform and it definitely builds on what we've done before. Okay, so it's an industry-wide um, manoeuvre. Why is your name on the top of it? Really simple. Um, the vagaries of the way that the system has to be um, uh, that has to be submitted through the system mean it has to be the name of an individual. It can't be the name of an institution or a business. Um, it's very really difficult for the BHA to put their name to it specifically as regulator, you know, regulator to government, regulator to regulator in this situation um, is not ideal. So I've agreed um, for my name to be, to be to be at the top of it. But in many ways, that's that's meaningless. You know, th- this is ultimately for the whole industry to get behind. And I think we show as an industry when we do get behind these things um, and we do come together on issues like this, that we are very, very strong. So I would encourage everyone no matter where you work in the industry, no matter what you do, be that at a race course, um, a stud, um, a, a, a racing yard, whatever it happens to be, um, or even if you're working one of those businesses that 
um, has an ancillary impact on racing, be that a vet, a transport or a farrier, whatever, um, to get behind this because this, this is for everyone. Nevin Truesdale, their chief executive of the Jockey Club, and the link for that petition, if you want to sign it, will be generated within the next 24 hours. As soon as it is, I will post it on our social media channels and we'll give you an update on it tomorrow as well. All right, thanks to all my guests today. Jane Mangan is still with me, has something for you for this afternoon. Yes, we're off to Newmarket. I'm sure the ground will be soft and everything will be tough. But at 2.25, Native Warrior put in a good debut over course and distance not that long ago. And I think he's well capable of winning the novice stakes over seven furlongs for Carl Burke and Danny Tothope at 2.25. All right, Jane, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for listening. Um, do remember, if you if you want to leave us a rating or a review, you can do. And it's always dangerous to ask for these because occasionally you just get a little a little dig in the ribs like this. I did enjoy this. You'll enjoy this, Jane. It's entitled, and most people leave lovely comments. A guy called Stallbridge Colonist, or it might have been a woman called Stallbridge Colonist, has has written infighting. There's no infighting on this podcast, is there? No, all fun and games. Why does the incisive JM, I presume she means Jane Mangan, not John Magna, um, demean herself by putting up with the constant attempts by the preening nl to belittle her so jane thank you so much for all your help time on the podcast it's been great well thank you to everybody who leaves us the comments and reviews we do take them on board i'm off to preen jane is off to be insightful somewhere and we'll be back next week uh do leave us a rating or a review if you have the time wherever you consume your podcasts and we'll see you again tomorrow bye-bye You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.